What's your thoughts of this YouTube boxing? I don't agree with it. It's kind of watered the sport down. 26 professional fights over the space of 15 years. And you sacrifice so much. And it's not a team sport. It's not like football where you've got 11 players running behind a ball. It's the fight camp and the, and, and the brutal weight cuts mm. to get to competition weight. That was the hardest part. Yeah. Uh, some of the projects I've worked on, The Crown Season 5, uh, Gangs of London Season 2. For me, it's about constantly keeping up my training, my active training, and, and just going with the flow. Welcome to Inspired By, the show that brings you inspiring stories from inspiring entrepreneurs with a twist. Now, I believe that every successful entrepreneur and celebrity on this planet has an inspiring story, and they have stories that they haven't yet told. Not because they don't want to tell the story, but because they haven't been asked the right questions. So my job on the show is to ask the real questions so that you get the real answers. Now, with that in mind, let's get started. Shah, welcome to the Inspired By Show. Thank you for having me, Chloe. Good to have you here. Now, You've worn many different hats, if you will, in your journey. And I've got lots of different stories within your story now. And there's so much I want to ask you when I've had a look about your background and your profiles and things online. What I noticed, though, is when I've been doing my research, I keep seeing your name popping up slightly different to what it is in many of the movies you've been in, which is Shah No Pain Hussein. So, Shah, I'm curious. Let's start there. Why No Pain? Okay, so the No Pain... um starts from my uh, mixed martial arts days, the fighting days, where um, when I made my pro debut or just before I made my professional debut back in 2005, I think it was. Um, obviously, all fighters have, have fight names. And uh, we, me and a friend or a friend was kind of saying, well, you need to have a fight name. I said, nah, do you know, I'm just going to leave it as my name. Because I've I've still got to achieve things, you know. He said, "No, nah, but you've got you've got to have it, right?" So, between a few friends of mine, um, they started circulating some names, and one of them was um, the Hurricane, which I I, I didn't like because it was way over the top. Um, another one was Mister Payne, but there was another British MMA fighter who actually had that Mister Payne, um, and then we stuck with uh, No Pain, and No Pain stuck and. Even all the the fight team, the guys in the gym, it was always like, "Yo, no pain, what's going on? All good, yeah." And, and, and it stuck, and um, that's that's the origins of of, the, of that nickname. Mm, wow! Yeah. And obviously, you've come quite far from your fighting days, but I'd love to go back there if we can. As to what what got you into the fighting world, and and tell us a bit about your journey into that. Um, I, I was a late starter to martial arts. Um, I started kickboxing sort of like 25. Prior to that, I was uh, basically lifting weights. Uh, I got bored of lifting weights and uh, I wasn't improving. Um, I was only lifting the maximum I could. And then uh, I needed something different. And at that time, I was sort of working sort of door security work. And I realized um, I wasn't really doing cardio as much. It was all trying to bulk up and look as big and scary as possible. Mm. And there was a few altercations we had in the venues where I used to work where um, I was dragging people out, but I was gassing out my ass. Um, so I thought, I need to do something about this. So then I saw a kickboxing class, signed up to that started kickboxing and then the, uh, I saw a flyer come through the door it might have been and it said David Lee mixed martial arts and I thought let me just pop down there so I went down there um, and those guys were actually doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, which was which is a program which is all ground fighting and it was running sort of five six days a week I then signed up to that and then David Lee who was my coach uh, a friend he then started MMA classes so I then decided to join the MMA classes. Um, I was really enjoying like the whole element of uh, an all-round uh, style which catered for, you know, real-life street fighting. Um, obviously, with MMA, competitive MMA, there's rules, you know, involved. Um, and I just like the whole element of watching that. And I, I, when I cast my, my, my head back to um, UFC 38, which took place uh, uh, when the UFC first came to Britain, I think it was in 2002, um, I was mesmerized by guys fighting in the cage and it was just so real and there's something animalistic about it and it just drew me to it. So when I, when I saw MMA and it's associated with cage fighting, um, I thought I want to give that a go. Um, 
and that's where the journey took off. So 2005, started training with um, Zé Marcelo, uh, Brazilian top team, which then became Icon Jiu-Jitsu, and David Lee MMA uh, in Slough. And 15 years of pain, uh, even though the, 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 the nickname's called No Pain, but there was a, a lot of pain involved <laughs> behind the scenes. Getting uh, punched and elbowed in the face, knee in the head. Um, uh, it took me places, uh, you know, great memories but yeah that's that's that was that's the origins of where it started wow and what was going through your mind at that point when you decide to get into it because obviously it sounds like you were quite in awe of it if you will but you know yeah. were there ever moments where you're like what am i doing or was there any part of you that was like scared at any point going through that pain no i think the um when you're kind of working in club door security back then uh, i actually started that career in when i was at university because I, I graduated um from criminology and contemporary culture in um, University of Manchester Metropolitan. Um, and I started working doors there. Mm. And the danger element kind of stuck with me on that end. I had no issues getting involved and not thinking twice before kind of going into altercations and just doing my job. And I think that naturally played into, um, you know, learning martial arts. I was not really being scared, like going first. And if you got twatted later, then asking questions later, like what happened there, you know? Um, so I think that was a natural thing in me from a kid. Mm -hmm. I used to fight with my younger brother, you know, growing up as you do. Um, so it stems from there, I think. And then uh, it was this thing of wanting to learn. Um, I always think back and think uh, as a youngster, I'd always enter all the talent competitions at school as well, you know, whether it was, uh, singing a Michael Jackson song in front of like the class assembly or, or, or these other talent shows or doing like a rap contest with some of my schoolmates. So I never had that, um, that fear of being in front of people, um, literally you know, letting them watch me. I didn't care about people's opinions or anything like that. So the, the, the thing about with what you're asking was I, I had no fear. I had no thing about you know, being scared of being hit and hitting back either. Uh, so I think I got comfortable with that and then I then decided to pursue it uh, as an art form, as in martial arts, learn the, learn the game, learn the all-round um, mixed, martial, mixed martial arts element of the sport. And then I thought, right, I think it's time to put it to practice and, and why, why not do it in a competition environment? Mm, wow. Yeah. And what was the most stretched you felt in that world? You know, when you were going through your fighting career, what was the biggest challenge you faced? And tell us a little bit about that. Um, I think it's fair to say that every fight was a challenge, you know, that's putting that to one side. Um, the hardest part, I'm going to contradict myself here a little, because the hardest part of a fight camp is the actual fight camp itself, which is 10 to 12 weeks out, going through that same routine day in, day out, uh, training six days a week, one day off, so, you know, sometimes two to three times a day. Um, you know, your body's going through bits, making weight. Um, I mean, if I was to give you an example, my I used to walk around about 90 kilos. I used to cut 20 kilo in body weight. Um, I'd have to get down to 70 kilos. So you can imagine, um, you know, you're basically running on empty. Uh, you're putting your body through a lot. So the, the, the challenge, answering your question, was the fight camp. The fighting part's the easy part. People might not agree, but... It is the it's the fight camp and the, and, and the brutal weight cuts mm. to get to competition weight that was the hardest part. Um, and the, the most the best thing about looking forward to weighing in was the post weighing meal. Once I've made weight, um, they say you could you could eat what you want, and I'm sure my coaches will kill me if they found out. But I didn't care. I, I'd have to eat a burger like after I weigh in. I'd have to eat food, but technically we're supposed to like start eating um junk again after the fight but it was just too hard to resist when you've been living off um greens and protein twice a day three times a day um yeah but answering your question the most challenging part was the the weight cut and the fight camp itself yeah yeah 
Now, I just wanted to quickly interrupt this episode to share a quick message with you. Now, I've been hosting these interviews with Inspired by Show for a while now, and I've been loving all of the great feedback from our listeners. And it really means a lot when you all share from listening to these episodes, watching these episodes, share your incredible feedback. And I love that you love it as much as we do. Now, my mission for the Inspired by Show is to inspire others to challenge the norm, share their story, knowing that it's okay to be vulnerable and shock horror, take the mask off and be raw and real. So I have a favor to ask. Can you help me on this mission by sharing this episode with someone who you think needs to hear this message? Maybe there's a friend, a loved one, a colleague, or someone that you know that would really benefit from hearing this inspiring story. If you could do that to help us help even more people to challenge the norm and push themselves out of their own comfort zone, then I'd really appreciate it. So if you haven't already, share this episode with a friend, a loved one, a colleague, or someone that you know would benefit. Now, back to the episode. Wow. I always find when we go through severe pressure in any different environment, you know, when we're under, you know, real pressure of low energy or stress or whatever, we find ourselves within that, you know, like I always say to people, don't read a personal development book, actually go and live an experience because that will help you find yourself. What did you find out about yourself going through those camps and those fights and that journey? I think what it does is it matures you as a person, um, as an individual, Uh, it makes you mentally tougher. Um, I think, um, I mean, the difference between uh, myself, I mean, even now, like 2018, 19, 20, let's say it's been four or five years since I've retired. I've put a little bit more weight on. Um, I mean, that's down to injuries as well, where I'm still kind of like uh, healing from. Um, but I think it's the, um, the the element of what I'm trying to, uh, the point I'm trying to make is uh, due to uh, having gone through like adversity of like, 26 professional fights over the space of 15 years. I mean, I don't know how many brain cells that's killed. Um, probably more during sparring than in an actual fight. Um, but knowing for well that when you're preparing, you're in that environment where the, 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 the decisions between a win and a loss is so small, right? And you sacrifice so much to... Um, to get that result. And it's not a team sport. It's not like football where you've got 11 players running behind a ball and, and, you know, end of the day, may the best team win. This is, you know, one-on-one. You're in there with someone else who wants to take your head off um, and you've got to do the same. Uh, and 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 the pressure is is that result, you know. I mean, my, my record was quite even. Uh, my professional record was, but I, I can't even begin to go into the uh the post-fight blues you know once you know you've come out of a fight the adrenaline is still rushing through your body you can't feel anything because you're on the adrenaline rushing you're cut you're split uh you're you're you know the pain's only kicking two days after um but knowing for well that if the result didn't go your way that was a three-month fight camp brutal weight cut not um not seeing your your loved ones missing social events just to kind of um prepare for that that one moment um and the pressure to get the win is enormous mm. you know it is it's it's, it's literally uh, from a flip of a coin it's, mm. it's you know so when you talk about pressure that's a lot of pressure and to do it time and time again um you know and and what i do is i i, I think back to um just that that time when I had my hand raised in the previous fight, you know, um, that feeling, it's like, it's the best feeling in the world. You, you can't, you can't match it. And it's, it's, I mean, not that I know, but it's like, say, when, when you hear about drug, drug addicts, who sort of say they get their next hit and they're trying to compare that last high and, and, you know, it goes that way, except this is the total opposite. It's, it's, it's a different kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why that loss, you know, when it happens, doesn't undermine anything. It's it's like my mind's got to go back to that feeling when I had my hand raised. Mm. So that spurs me on, mm. you know. Um, yeah. So that's it's a lot of pressure, but um, it's it's an amazing thing when you get that win. Mm, yeah definitely and I'm I'm not a massive like MMA or boxing watcher I do follow a little bit and I remember sitting down with my partner recently watching some of the fights and I always think to myself oh my gosh like he's a massive football fan so when we watch boxing and I I say to him like these people have given up like you say three months of their life Mm. 
and body weight and, you know, starvation to some extent and, you know, pressure and push and, you know, being, I've seen some people train and they're getting shouted at, like, keep going, keep going, you can do this. And then you think for one moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, quite surreal. Um, Only fighters know what fighters go through. Um, You know, trainers know what, you know, the guys are going through. Mm. You know, when I say this, I mean it with respect to a lot of people who, who haven't lived that life won't ever know Mm. so you know you have to you know respect people you have to take your hats off to them Mm. um you have to appreciate what people go through uh, and put their bodies through and you know like i said put social events behind them and just to just to pursue that that passion of of, Mm. of like um wanting to perform wanting to progress um and, and i remember like in the early days where it was a case of you know when our first few fights we're fighting in working men's clubs and and the promoters are like okay you know you're fighting here's your tickets sell your tickets half your purse is going to come from your ticket sales and it's, it's like you're, you're focusing on the fight and you want to bring have your family and friends there but that early days that's how it was it was a case of like right this is how you've got to get by you want to get paid this is how it's going to work um and you know the people who support you they will always kind of be there for you Uh, and especially the people who know how much you put in um but trying to get friends to come support me back in my early 2000s you know it's like listen i've got to sacrifice a night out with the lads Uh, i'm not going to sacrifice a night out with the lads yeah just to come you know watch you fight right because we're friends they're brutal like that you know and i'm like yeah but there's ring girls there i don't care you know i'm i'm, I'm gonna be down to boozer <laughs> but trying to convince these you know friends and stuff back then obviously the sport moved away on after that where you know you were getting paid proper purses uh you know there was sponsorship involved and stuff but early days that's how it was and then sometimes it used to make you think like I'm my own salesperson here. Why am I doing this? And again, you, you know, you talk about pressures. And um, one thing I forgot to mention is, is my, my parents were completely against what I was doing. You know, it, it uh, to the degree that it, I went through a marriage which kind of fell apart because it's it's a selfish sport. You know, and when I say you have to be selfish to kind of like uh, stand a chance in there that's how it is you know and um my parents are traditional uh, uh you know it was you're always going to be you know the baby of your of your of your mum and dad and that that my mum would never sleep the night I'd be fighting she'd be calling my friends up how is he is he okay and, and you know that was it and then they they'd be like sure you know your mum's always ringing right and I'm like <laughs> I'm trying to blank it out but yeah, so there's a lot of pressure there. I think the the, the biggest pressure um, or, or moment, should I say, was when, when my mum and dad they actually came to watch me. This was right towards the end of my career. And it was only because I'd never want them there because of the pressure. And it was I was at that stage when I was kind of looking to finish up the sport. And I thought, do you know what? They've never watched me fight. Let me invite them. And I'll never forget it because, like, I was in a cage and my mum, she wore like a traditional pink outfit uh, at that time. And she was sort of, I could see her behind the opponent, right? Mm. My opponent. Now you imagine now, this is the first time my parents have come and see me. They disapprove of, of the sport full stop because of the danger element. I could see an old lady behind my opponent. I didn't care about my opponent. I'll be honest with you. I was just looking at her, shaking in my boots, thinking I have to perform. You know, mm. my mum's here to watch me. My dad wasn't paying attention because he completely disagrees with, with the sport. And then my mum was, I could see her nervous. And then I took that guy out in 20 seconds. Uh, and then I was thinking, why the hell didn't I have my mum at every every fight of mine? <laughs> <laughs> why? Why did I have to, like, see out three five-minute rounds throughout my career? And, you know, when this is the result she could, she could create. But... Yeah, but um, yes, I've had some great memories and it's, it's, I, I do miss it. I really do miss it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right, though. It's a different level of pressure with different people involved. And sometimes having people that are watching is harder or it motivates. Now, you've talked there, Shara, about obviously how you miss it and it's no longer what you're doing now. So what happened? Tell us a bit about walking away from it and how it was walking away from something you did for, what, 15 years? Yeah, it, it was quite it was quite tough. Um as well as like obviously family being worried, I've got a lot of friends 
that you know that were equally kind of like that um i've gone past 35 year age says i'm 44 now but then i was coming up towards the end of my uh end of my 30s 37 38 when i finished up and i think they collectively uh kind of spoke to each other and um we went out one night for a meal and i think they sat me down and said listen Charlie, you know what you do is great you know um the amount of support i was getting through bigger networks you know people coming to watch me fight you know and they were flying out you know to europe just to watch me through um and i appreciated it loads but when these same people uh, were saying, oh, Charlotte, you've got, you got to think about your kids and stuff like that, you know. And and I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I'll do it, I'll do it, you know. Again, in, in selfish mode. Um, and literally, it was a case of like, now nah, it's time to finish up now, you know. You've had your fun, you know, travel the world, trained with the best teams, you know, against top, top fighters. I fought great top opposition, you know, made a, a bit of a name you know, in the, on the circuit for myself. Um, and it's to look, go out on, you know, on a high, you know, because in this sport, um, there's that danger element and, and you've got young kids and, and I still kind of like, it, it was still going over my head. And then it was only when, um, uh, I finished one of the fights. So I went back home and, uh, I attended my, uh, my son's, uh, parents evening. I think it was, and back then, it was face to face. Now they do it all on Zoom and whatnot. And I remember like the teacher saying, "Oh, um, you Zane, which is my eldest son." He, she said, "Oh, he's he's he was getting a bit upset." And then we asked him what it was, and and they said, "He said, oh, I'll never see my dad." <laughs> and I remember when when she told me that, I I froze. I was like, "What?" I thought it it hit me then, you know. And I thought, man. I've been so oblivious to this. Um, there was times when, like, my daughter would get the training bag, I'll come back home, and, you know, I've been in traffic in London, I've come back, training stuff's already, and I'm buff, I'm gone back out again. She'd stop, and she'd, like, she'd be in front of the, you know, in front of the door saying, no, 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 you know, I don't want you to go. And I, I dropped the bag once, and I didn't. But then when when, when the teacher said that to me, I, I kind of stopped, and I was like, Wow. I need to think about this now. So I then made the decision to kind of call it a day, you know, and answering your question, the things, what occurred after that was I lost my six pack, right? Cause I was no longer training uh, 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 like a beast. Um, like a lot of fighters do when they retire, you only got to look at the likes of Ricky Hatton and, and Prince and Azim Ahmed. <laughs> He's a prime example. Um, yeah, I put weight on, uh, and uh, you know, I've I've become a fan, fan of the sport. I watch it. I can't watch the live events. So I have to watch because for most of them are in America. Um, I stay on top of the sport. Um, I've got quite uh, because I'm um, again when I say this, it's just purely because I I just happen to be at the right place at the right time. I'm the first. What was it? Uh, the first professional Pakistani MMA fire in the world. This is back in the early 2000s. Not that I care, because it doesn't mean nothing to me. It's just, I just happened to be doing it at a time, or the only person, the only guy doing it at a time when no one else was doing it. And um, I remember going out, you know, um, to Pakistan and basically trying to promote the sport out there. And I think there was posters that were put up and I saw, I remember seeing my posters up thinking, wow, this is crazy. Um, not that, again, like I said, it meant anything to me, but it was quite surreal, meaning you're in a foreign country, um, but I'd only been back to that country twice in that time, and the posters are up, and then, you know, people were invited to see what MMA was about, and my friend, he put it up in a hotel, and he had the screen up, and we had a lot of people turn up, and then as soon as they saw what was happening, you know, I think a lot of them thought it was WWE, no, which is all fake, yeah, as you know. Mm. Half the people got up and left. They 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 weren't interested because they, they thought this is dangerous. This is we're gonna you know, this is like stuff that could kill us. And they never come back. Um but uh, there was quite a lot of interest. But going back to the question again, the and all these memories, you know, were just memories now. You know, just thinking back like, wow, I remember we did this, I remember we did that. Remember all the training camps out in Thailand and and you know hurting you know and as the years were going by, you know I couldn't recover uh, in between sessions. You know that's when I thought you know what 
it's time now to your, your body's telling you something you know and um when when i was in fight camp i'd i'd uh, I'd, I'd never call home because i was just busy all the time i'd make the odd phone call home a video call and whatnot at this time i was i was calling home every day right talking to the missus and she's like what's wrong something not right here i'm like what do you mean because you, you never really call home yeah I said, yeah, I know. And then put the phone there. I'm thinking, can't recover in between training sessions. You got younger guys who are trying to take my head off, right? And the body's not recovering, right? It's time, you know? And then I thought, right, I'm going to have one more fight and call it a day. And then um, that was it. So it's life before and life after have been quite different. Mm, yeah. Wow. What did... What did your your wife say? What did your family say? Your parents say when you came back and made that decision? Oh, they loved it. It was it was like um, it was all their Christmases and Eids and and whatnot, all in one. Um, it was almost like they 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 had me back again, like back. Mm. Imagine like you miss like social events and stuff like. That. Or even if I was present, you know, I'm I'm stick thin. All I'm drinking is water. I'm just you know bits of chicken, no cake. Um, you know, it was it was horrible. It really was. It was like I was there, but I wasn't. You mm -hmm. know, and I'd always opt to be the guy behind the camera because I didn't like to look at myself on camera because I was like my face was gaunt, um, cheekbone sticking out. Uh, you know, there was a lot of weight to cut, mm -hmm. and I didn't feel right. So they were happy. They were glad that they kind of had had me back again, and um, I was back just 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 being myself again. Mm -hmm. You know, like being able to eat. Uh, not care about cutting weight uh, anymore and it was great it was great it was nice to not have to worry about being on the scales like twice a day you know and that's that's a lot of pressure mm. um but yeah they were they were happy yeah, yeah. and how did you handle that because i i can imagine Shah, from being so focused on one result you know and your yeah. and also your routine right it was almost like 15 years is a long time to be bought into a process yeah. was there ever a point where you're like what now? Like I've got no structure. I've got no discipline to some extent. Yeah. It, um, uh, normally after a fight, uh, we'd have a week off just to heal up with any injuries. If the injuries were worse, obviously we'd have to take a bit. But normally it was a week off and the difference between a picture just before I was going to get on the scales to a week later. I mean, if I was just giving an example, if I weighed in at say 70 kilo on, on the Friday, so Thursday evening, I'll cut weight to Friday. And then uh, come Saturday, when I was stepping in the cage, I was 80 kilos. I would put 10 kilos on in in, in fluid and, and water weight. And, wow. Yeah. Um, so, and then you've got a week off. And that week, the only thing, and the only you know thing in a diary is just to eat, yeah, and catch up on all the junk you've missed out for the last. But then... Obviously, you have to kind of be sensible because then you know a week later mm. you're going to be back in training again. You know, um, you're blown out your ass again a week later because you've been eating crap. But the um, the difference is that that's what you asked me, wasn't mm. it? Yeah, was trying to be um, disciplined enough not to overdo it, mm. right? Because you know that you're going to be back in training camp again. Um, the manager is going to be looking for an another fight for you, mm. um, and just to get that balance so you don't sort of put on too much weight because. Uh, Putting weight on is not a problem. Losing it is a problem. You know, yeah, yeah. that's that's the biggest thing. So I think um, it was keeping a fine balance, um, just getting back to the you know normality of things again, mm -hmm. and not have to worry about training. Um, and then a week later, you actually look forward. To, once you've gone through that, the eating the grease, the all the junk food, all the milkshakes, all the Coca Cola, you're you're back to you know discipline again. And it was like that. I could you could switch it off and switch it on again. Wow. Right, back in fight camp mode now. Got to think clean. Got to, you know, and that's that process was just ongoing. Mm. And it, and as as we spoke about earlier, it is a lot to do. But when you're regimented, it's like a soldier in the army or um, a marine. These guys are going to be running everywhere. They're going to be you know fit. They might be you know, chugging cigarette cigarettes, you know, having beers, but guarantee you, like uh, till two o'clock in the morning. That's six seven in the morning. They're going to be going on a big run. You know, mm. and it's just that same discipline, I think, um, uh, which has helped me apply that discipline throughout 
the years, yeah. and and I've just you know I I got my uh, my black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in 2022. Um, after 18 years, normally it takes people about 10 years on average to get their black belt. Um, our coach Zé Marcelo, uh, he is quite strict. He wants guys to train in the kimono, which is the gi, um, mm. in order to sort of progress. Because I was doing MMA, uh, I left it a little longer. I only sort of started getting in the kimono in 2012. So 20, 2022, I got my black belt. Um, but that was purely down to, because it's a lifestyle. Mm. You go and train, uh, you know, and you progress. And before you know it, you know, you've gone from white belt to black belt. So the discipline uh, I've gained from this sport uh, has been amazing, you know. Mm. And again, when I look back, at the early days of like growing up, it was almost a case of always be the one that wants to do, you know, the beatboxing in a, in a rap contest or dancing to Michael Jackson or mm. um, to martial arts. So you go from performing arts to martial arts and now with whatever I'm doing now, mm. you know, the yeah. artistic qualities have always been there. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's something that I was going to ask you about because I noticed that with getting to know you and even just researching you, you've always had that arts throughout. And, you know, and I'm not talking about in the traditional sense, yeah. you know, you've always been in some sort of art of some sort. So, you know, you've now left the fighting, you're still doing, you know, your martial arts and that's slightly separate. But where did performing arts come back into your life and how now? Because obviously for anyone that doesn't know, you're obviously very much into the acting world. So yeah. how did that pivot sort of come about? Um... During lockdown, when everything kind of closed up, uh, the world shut down. Um, back then, uh, there's a friend of mine who I was just talking to, and he, he's an actor, and he he was kind of like doing jobs abroad and whatnot. Um, and he spoke to me, he sort of said, oh, sure. He goes, why don't you give it a go? I was like, nah. I said, look, I go, I'm gray. I'm too old for this, you know? And he's like, no, no, no. He goes, you don't understand. He goes, it's a lot more difficult for the these young actors because there's more competition. Right. That was true to an extent. Um, and then I thought, okay, so I saw something online and because obviously everything started on Zoom back then. And there was like a, a taster class, which I can't remember the company it was, and I went with that and they wanted to they wanted you to perform like a monologue. Um and I did so and I, I sent it to him. I said, Look, give me your opinion, what do you think? And he, he sort of said, He goes, That was really good, you know. Uh, I thought, yeah, right. But I left it. And then I um, I saw like there was obviously I researched the industry because I thought you know what if I'm gonna be serious about something so I spent about four or five weeks believe it or not just researching just seeing you know in, you know what the industry was like and then obviously the whole thing came up about what's gonna happen in the future um, and then yeah so April 2020 I started researching and then I jumped onto um, a three-year acting course with a company called the Acting Academy, which is run by Mark Pegg. Mark Pegg played Alfie Kane in EastEnders back, uh, I think it was in the 90s. He was a gangster. And, uh, so he's obviously teaching acting now. Um, that was uh, mainly online and it was workshop-based. There was no workshops then because of COVID, but so all of it was online. So I'm doing these lessons online and practicing, you know, voice, breathing, um, you know, the breathing I'm still trying to work on because I'm due an, op uh, an operation uh, on my sinuses because I had my nose broken twice during when I used to fight. So that part of it I struggle with sometimes, um, hoping to get that fixed. But anyway, the, the, the point I was making was it's a three-year course. Uh, I stayed on it beyond the three years because I loved that camaraderie of being involved in a group mm -hmm. where, you know, things are always being shared so I can always constantly learn. Um, it started there. And then obviously I I needed to get footage. So I, I got in contact with a few showreel companies and just to sort of like be able to showcase my work. Mm. Uh, and it, that's where it started. I got my first showreel together. Uh, and then uh, the advice I was given by my friend at the time, he said, oh, you know, register, have, have some profiles on, on these uh, sites, websites. I did that. He said, you need to get onto Spotlight, which is uh, the professional actors platform. Um, I thought, okay, I've set myself a goal. I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get onto Spotlight. You know, I want to get on Spotlight in two years or maybe three years uh, and then I'll take it from there. I got on Spotlight in nine months um, because I was just relentless. Again, it was that whole thing of when I want when I want something, I will do whatever I, you know, whatever it takes to get that. Mm. So I hit that target like probably two years earlier. Um, 
so I'm on on spotlight now. Um, got myself my first agent, uh, and obviously it kicked off from there. It was uh, I was booking jobs, and I remember like telling some colleagues at the Acted Academy. I said, "I've got this, this this month, this next month." Don't get me wrong; a lot of it was like all unpaid, and it was like student. Uh, productions and mm. stuff like that just to get the ball rolling at the start and then I literally um it took off from there and then since then I've 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 jumped onto I've changed agent a few times uh, uh it's just quite normal in the in the industry um and I've got uh, an agent for stunt work spat work uh which worked out because of the martial arts background uh, and I'm now doing acting as well stunt spat work and this year uh, fight coordinating uh, through you know teaching other actors how to fight uh, and perform on screen which has been amazing which is yeah. quite natural comes quite natural um, and it took off from there and, and um, yeah it's been amazing Wow. It really is. Yeah. That's, that's that's fantastic though, Shah, because you can see the similarity, right? Like the discipline, the resilience, like a lot of people, and I'm not saying this for actors, I don't know any actors personally, yeah. but could be there going, Yo, it takes two to three years, so I'll take two to three years to get onto spotlight. Actually, you're there like, no, I'm going to do it this way, fa faster in ways that felt right to you because of your character traits. So for us to sort of see how this has played out, Tell me about some of the the acting you've done. Is there anything that we would know of or spot you in? Yeah, um, it, it, I mean, when you spot me in, sometimes that might be a bit, a bit difficult because um, it was a combination of um, acting and stunts. Mm -hmm. Okay, so course, yeah. uh, some of the projects I've worked on, um, The Crown season five, I worked mm -hmm. on that. I worked on uh, Gangs of London season two. Um, I worked on Slow Horses season three, which has just been released now with Gary Oldman. Um, uh, I worked on a lot of independent stuff as well. I worked on um, a film called Morris Men, which is coming to uh, platforms, uh, vid uh, video platforms very soon. Uh, I've just finished filming uh, a South Asian gritty um, crime drama uh, called Never Had a Chance, which uh, should be released early next year. Mm -hmm. It's going to hit the big screen. Um, but for me, it's about constantly uh, keeping up my training, my actor training. Mm -hmm um auditioning and and just going with the flow you know mm -hmm. um i don't rule myself out for uh anything you know there might be people who might just stick to screen acting um i can't actually wait to uh, jump on a theater gig because it's something i've not done because they say screen acting is small it's there and you deliver to dialogue um theater is big it's out there i've never done big work mm -hmm. i've never spoken to a person right across the room um, but it's a tip box which every actor has to do is theatre. Mm. Uh, normally people start off in theatre and then move into screen acting, but my background has always been screen acting. Mm. And now um, you know, doing that, voiceover work, uh, you know, that's that's an option for me. I've been told I've got a nice voice for radio. I'm not sure about <laughs> that. But um yeah, uh there's there's so many more options now. And obviously because that's another one of the questions why I said to my friend back then, I said, Oh yeah, but uh, it's 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 going to be hard trying to like get onto the big screen, mm -hmm. and then he, that's when he sort of said he said oh yeah but do you not realise there's things such as Netflix, Prime now everything's all coming out there and there's so much more uh, options now for actors mm -hmm. to sort of showcase their skills. Not not everything comes straight to the big screen, you know. Mm -hmm. it, sometimes it gets straight on. You know, like like I worked on um, Netflix's uh, Red Notice. You know, and and that was a great scene. Uh, my scene in that was with Ed Sheeran, um, which which is very you know it was it was good fun. Um, but yeah, you know it's uh, it, it's it's just been crazy, and to the degree where I'm constantly audition. I love n not knowing what's going to come next. I've already got a few projects in the pipeline come early January, mm. uh, and yeah, it's it's great, and I, I love it. It's something mm. which uh, has kind of taken over. But again, like you said, the elements of martial arts to the performing arts so that's the the background and how it's happened mm, yeah i think it's so inspiring though because some people feel like they're attached to one career for the rest of their life you know like yeah. i remember when i was brought up and i'm not saying my parents were ever telling me you had to do one thing but all my family members had had one job i'd like one career mm. and i think sometimes we can almost feel like we've failed if we can't carry that on but i love the fact that you've proven that you can bring different skills into different parts of your life and also now you know i'm, I'm assuming but your family are probably a little bit little bit happier that you're in a much safer environment although yeah. stunts maybe not so much <laughs> yeah uh, with this um 
a lot happy. There's no mm -hmm. complaints here. I think with the the stunt side of things, um, with the stunt side, they is uh, the British Stunt Register. Uh, that's what everyone wants to get onto. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're on the register, you're going to be doing all the top jobs. But to get onto the register is one thing. You know, sorry, the register is one thing, but getting onto it is another thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, six, seven disciplines uh, in different areas, uh, all at instructor level, you have to hit before you get on there. Having a background in martial arts, I ticked the boxes in one or two of them. Um, I started doing rock climbing, which is one of the things. There was um, um, gymnastics, there was uh, driving, and I had goals to kind of like, I thought, I'm, I'm going to do both. But then I was spoken to by my peers, and they said, Sure, well, you need to be realistic. You know, I mean, we know you, you can do these things, but if you want to be an actor, no one's ever going to take you seriously as uh, if you're a stunt guy. You have to be one or the other. It really? doesn't really. I think the only there's only a few examples of like people who have crossed over quite well. And um, oh god, Scott Atkins, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. So he's a prime example. We started off as on Jackie Chan's stunt team back in the day, mm. and then he's moved into movies now. Uh, but even then, he still won't get the big big roles because he's known more as a stunt performer. So I was told you got to pick a side. Start when I was training for the register, I I realised that my body wasn't holding up as as it used to, so it wasn't you know cashing those checks, and I thought you know what I have to make a collective decision, and I decided to kind of stick to the acting. But luckily, because of the skill set I have, I'm, I was still picking up stunt work, which is great, mm. um, and some of it might be might you know have to do with the fact that since the whole George Floyd thing. Um, the industry is trying to kind of like regulate to the degree where if there's an actor, you know, uh, of colour, if that's the person in the script, you have to use an actor of colour. Mm. So that might have been one of the opportunities because you can't no longer get a white person and paint them black and portray it as mm. that. I'm sure it still goes on, but it's they're trying to change the industry. So for that reason, maybe that's opened up some opportunities mm. for me. And I don't... I don't mind that because it kind of like I'm st I'm sticking to my acting, but I'm still picking up stunt work. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's it's been it's been awesome. Yeah, I, I love your honesty there though because I think a lot of people can get quite anti that. You know, I obviously from different backgrounds, but for me, when I first started speaking, I would be the only female speaker right. in the event, and some people would come up to me in the audience and go, "How do you feel like the fact they only picked you because you're a woman?" Yeah, and I yeah. say, "Bashar." I don't care why they picked me as long as they keep picking me and I show them why they should keep working exactly. with me, right? And so I'm curious from your perspective, like what is your thoughts on the fact that, you know, they are, you know, trying to tick a box to be legit, but also it's for the right reasons, right? Because it's important that there are people like us being seen to show other people yeah. that it's possible. Yeah, um, I think it's quite important, especially in, um, if you've got a skill, as a matter of your man, woman, trans, whatever, if you can... Mm do a good job at what you're doing. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, there's always debates on certain platforms on Facebook and whatnot where people are sort of talking about the fact that, oh, should a, um, a black person play the role of a black person, etc. I mean, yes, that makes sense when mm -hmm. you're talking common sense, but um, can a, a straight actor play a role of, I don't know, maybe someone who's gay? Mm -hmm. You know, If that casting director, if they're happy to play that part, and that casting director is happy with their auditions and, and the director's happy with that, go for it. You know, mm. do what you think is right. You mm. know, don't let anything stop you. Um, you know, me personally, I might not be able to play that role, mm. you know, for, for reasons which are personal to myself. Mm. Um, nothing against it whatsoever, but purely talking about that. I'm just giving an example of like mm. how um, so if someone's not fit for something, they may be fit for it, but if, they, mm. if they've got the skill set, and uh, they can follow the direction and people uh, of what people want. Why not? Yeah. You know, um, don't ever be scared to, um, you know, apply for roles. I'm, I'm just talking from acting because mm -hmm. uh, there's, you know, you see, I always see it where people are not sure and they're always doubting themselves. Because uh, one thing I learned is I, w I was always that guy. I would, I was very a bit of an introvert. I wouldn't really kind of speak up as such. It was never. Like three, four years ago, this was like never. I would never do it, and I just didn't have that confidence. You know, I wouldn't be able to like sit here and speak. I'd be, I'd be a bag of nerves. I would, but 
the last three years, four years since being in the profession, um, I suppose I tell a lie yeah, because in a way sometimes I was interviewed immediately after a fight mm. um, and, I, and I'd have to hold my own together. But that was, I'd just about get through that. But um, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be able to do this. But the point I'm trying to make is people should like really open themselves up to like a lot more. Uh, hence the reason why I won't rule out the fact of um, auditioning for commercials as mm. I have done this morning. Um, you know, uh, theatre, voiceover work you know it's such a big world out there mm. and if you're not going to celebrate your small successes yeah people won't know you know if, no matter what you've done or you are planning to do you know shout about it mm. you know to, to you know even if it's the smallest of thing there's you, you might get people who roll their eyes at what you're saying and what you're doing but you know what screw them yeah you know, and you know, give them the middle finger. Don't care. As a matter of fact, do it for that reason. Mm. You know, show them. Listen, I'm going to be the reason why you're going to be talking about me. Mm. You know, whether you fail or succeed, just do it. And I made my mind up uh, probably midway towards like when I was finishing up my MMA. I thought, you know what, I'm at a point now where I don't care about what people think about me. Um, mm. I was selfish as it was. Right, but now I'm going to show people. Mm -hmm. I, I refuse to kind of put myself in a culture where I where I worry about what people think about me, mm -hmm. and I, I'm, I'm you know I'm going to I'm going to do what I want to do, mm -hmm. um, and that's what it was. You know, whether the South Asian Asian community people might think, oh, he, he's a father. Is is he is this guy going through a midlife crisis? What is wrong with him? Why why is he? Gone from MMA, which is you know extreme, to now movies and films and and and, and that sort of, and stunts and what's wrong with him? You know he's he's not he's not feeling well. Um, I remember you know my mum like I said to my mum years ago. I said, Mum, you know I'm feeling a bit depressed and whatnot. You know a bit stressed. I wasn't depressed, and her her thing would be have a paracetamol. You know, you know that will sort your depression out. Mm -hmm. It just shows you that people don't always know mm. you know uh, only you know what you're doing um and if you're going to fail you're going to fail you it's, it's going to be a lesson learned mm. but that's that's been my policy all along and that's what i believe in and that's what i will continue to believe in yeah i love yeah. that though i think it's so inspiring because so many people take their no you know they get one no they don't get the dream job oh my god i need to change my whole career yeah. you know and and acting i mean in any art really there's so much rejection that happens doesn't it you know yeah. whether it's like me asking people to come on the podcast or you auditioning to things it's like yeah. it's learning that each no is one step closer right yeah it is i i i, I think um again I, I put it down to the fact that in acting industry i'm a i'm still a white belt i am because mm. there's there's people out there who have who have achieved so much more you know, and I look at that, and I'm in awe of them. I'm not, when I see that, it inspires me. I don't get jealous. I, mean, I get envious. I think, you know, I want that, mm. right? And and I, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And that's exactly what my thought process was, was at the start because I set my goals up quite high. I achieved where I wanted to be a lot, a lot, lot sooner than I, where I was. Um, I think my my acting coach, Mark, was saying, no, after the three years, you actually qualify to get on Spotlight nine months it took and I felt a little but I think Mark appreciates the fact that I have that humble approach I've got that mm. white belt mentality meaning you know I'm still always a white belt I'm always learning mm. I never think even though in jiu-jitsu I'm a, I'm a black belt but on the mats it's, it, you're always learning and this is this, this is no different you're always going to evolve you're always going to come across experiences that you haven't been in before mm. you know uh, I haven't I haven't played every single role that's been offered to me because sometimes it's not my casting type. You know, I, I'd love to be able to play a role like, I don't know, Leonardo DiCaprio, but look at me, you know, it's, I'm always going to play that villain, that serious guy, that thug, that, you know, drug dealer. But I'm I'm happy with that. But I'm always, uh, but this is it, you know, when I played my first father role, I loved it. It was something so different um, to what I'm used to. I could smile more, mm. you know. I could just be what my dad is, basically. Um but like I said, forever learning, forever auditioning, you know, forever picking up new experiences. And um, I love it. And I like knowing that tomorrow I don't know what I'm going to do next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The variety of it, right? Exactly. There's so much variety. Yeah. Now, speaking of like your love for the arts in many different forms, you know, you've been in a professional fighting setting for years. You've mm -hmm. now doing it more as a passion with your martial arts. 
I, you're the first person I'm sat opposite on this show talking about fighting in any capacity. I'm dying to know from your perspective, what's your thoughts of this sort of new industry that's come about, which is like the YouTube boxing, you know, the more of the amateurs, but doing it and getting, you know, a hell of a lot more money for a hell of a lot bigger audiences. What's your thoughts? Um, My take on it is I, I don't, I don't agree with it. It's kind of watered the sport down. Mm. Um, um, well, I'll say, when I say unfortunately, I'm not going to say that because it can it can offend people. Not that I care, but the fact of what I mean is there, there's an audience. Mm. There's an audience for everything. There's an audience for this, what we're doing. There's an mm. audience for when I'm doing my work. And if it gathers an audience, and more importantly, as we all know, um, money's generated, and a lot of money is generated. Mm. Um, people will draw towards that, mm. yeah. And my personal thoughts, and I don't, I don't really agree with it. I don't watch it. I wouldn't mm. if there's a. I would never pay for it. Never pay for it out of my pocket to watch a live, you know, pay per view event in it. But it's it's entertainment. It's probably for me. It's just just over WWE. I don't watch WWE, mm. but I'd say because they're actually trying to hurt each other, I might watch the highlights. Mm. Um, it's watered the sport down. Entertainment value-wise, you know, it's brought a new fan base. So on that element of it, it's probably, you know, improved. But I'm not really a fan of it. Mm. Um, if you're talking someone like, say, Conor McGregor, who, uh, you know, who's as well as a businessman, he's, you know, he's, he's a legit martial artist. Maybe not as much now, even though he thinks he is. Um, but that guy, he took our sport, MMA, to another level. You know, and and that is someone who, um, I mean, as a person, I'm not sure, but as a businessman, I, I, I take my hat off to him. Mm. And when you look at it from that context, Jake Paul, Logan Paul, KSI, whoever these guys are, I mean, I, I didn't even know KSI was before he started writing. Mm. I, I swear to God, I didn't. I still don't know some of these, a lot of these new artists and whatnot. It's only when they, they, they've they been brought into the limelight. Um and they they haven't got the, the the basic skills. You can tell the difference between uh, a boxer who's been doing boxing since he was eleven or young age to you know to a guy who's just picked the gloves up and and you know you, you can you can tell. Um, and the only thing that's kind of worries me is that that these guys they might be getting the results in terms of fighting wise, but it's a sport. It's a contact sport. You know, and at the end of the day, you know, you have to kind of cut weight to a degree, and there there is that danger element of it. Because personally, I think boxing is more dangerous than mixed martial arts because of the amount of strikes you take to the head constantly. You know, mm -hmm. brain damage. There's been loads of examples of people who have yeah. who have suffered and passed on, uh, unfortunately, because of it. But answering your question, I'm not a fan of it. I probably watch highlights of it if I do, and. Um, the after interviews are so cheesy. I can't. You know, I, I have to switch off because they're not real athletes, and you know I respect them to a degree. For you know, I, I respect anyone who gets into a ring or a cage um, to show to showcase off their skills. But it's a lot more about clicks and and, and likes, and that's what mm -hmm. generates the money. Uh, look, I'm one to talk because when I said to my uh, when I asked my son about three four years ago, I said. What do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, and he said a YouTuber, and that, and that broke my heart, you know, because <laughs> when I grew up, uh, when I, my my dad or my mum used to ask me, it was always a policeman, a doctor, a lawyer, you know, and I thought really, and then I thought, you know what, you know, you might be onto something there because he might make more money than a doctor does in a year, you know. So, like I said, you know, the the, the age has shifted. Things have moved on, you know, and entertainment is not what it what is not what we used to think it is. It's you know, entertainment is different now, uh, and there's 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 different uh, audiences there for different markets. Mm. So yeah, but I'm not a fan of it personally. Yeah, yeah. I think that your honesty though, and and it's it's really interesting to hear your son say that though, because he's also seen you in many different spotlights. You know, not as a YouTuber, obviously, yeah. but he's seen you, you know, dedicate your life to your arts, and that may be now his art. <laughs> You know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> him and my daughter—they—they they did say, "Oh, Dad, you—you've only got—you only—you've only got ten followers on YouTube." I'm like, I, I thought, okay, um, I, I don't care about that, you know. It's, and and I think what they buzz off is the fact that they can share it with their their uh, their teachers and their and their friends, and they've known, oh, your dad is your dad's a cage fighter, he, you know. He, he um. They're kids, they love that. Uh, and I think on my 
one of my profiles online, it sort of said on there, oh, married and got three kids and got the name of my kids there. So they're forever like Googling their own, uh, that profile and showing their friends. I look, we're on YouTube. And not on YouTube, we're on Google. And it's, <laughs> it's such a such an innocent thing to do. But it's, um, you know, on that element of it, I think you know, we're all here to leave our mark some way, shape or form. Mm whether we mean to do it, whether we don't mean to do it. For me, it was like, you know, more like martial arts and whatever comes with it. And um, if my if my children can take away some of that discipline and apply it in their lives, I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy with that. Mm, yeah. yeah. Now yeah. you mentioned that, that we're all here to leave our mark. I'm curious, Shah, who's left a mark on you and sort of helped you along your journey? Um, it's gonna, there's, there's no one set person. I think it's got, it's got to come down to a few figures out there um not all sportsmen i think uh certain figures in history like uh malcolm x mm. you know freedom rights movements um muhammad ali sportsman yeah um uh, habib Nurmagomedov, mma again mm. and i think what it is is it's the it's the thing of having more than just being sportsmen you know, having, uh, being able to impact people from all walks of life, whether it's to do with like fighting for rights, uh, racism, uh, being accepted, you know, their, uh, their battles weren't just in the ring or the cage. You know, it was way beyond that, you know. Again, like, you know, going back to Malcolm X, I actually did a monologue of, of, of Malcolm X uh, uh, from from the movie uh, Denzel Washington's monologue, and, and you know, and I had a I had a, I had very good feedback from it, um, but again, it, it just shows that throughout the course of history, there's been people who have like gone out of their way, sacrificed a lot for other people, mm -hmm. um, and, it, and and you know, it, it, uh, I don't care what people think, but even people like Jeremy Corbyn, I'm a fan of his, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, people who speak the truth. You know, and mm -hmm. people who, uh, where the bigger, powerful people are trying to stop them talking. Mm -hmm. You know, the people who actually speak out and have have like half the world against them for their opinions. Uh, so the few people I've mentioned are just like the people on top of my head. Mm -hmm. But every single day, there's people who leave a mark. You know, on me. There's mm -hmm. people who, uh, if you talk about in current situations like you know what's going on in palestine in gaza mm -hmm. you know those people they um they 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 really you know, you know they make you realize what what real mm -hmm. is you know like what they're going through we we think we've got problems in this country you know and you've only got to look and listen to what what's going on out in that country to kind of work out you know what humanity really is and who we should actually have as our role models mm -hmm. we should be able to pick and, and not based on looks or money or or how how many how many followers someone has or how many likes they get. Um, look at what they're saying. Look at the message they're trying to give. Mm. You know, look at that and and take it on board. More importantly, um, step away from that bubble we we bloody live in, uh, and and look at reality for what it is. You know, you know. Um, we talk about politics all day long, uh, but again, you know. A lot of people, I think, are blind and uh, are just sheep in in following a lot of the the wrong role models. Mm -hmm. I think you've got to look at and 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 like they say, you know, uh, criminals don't wear tattoos; they work they wear ties, and and, and I believe that mm -hmm. I really do. Uh, and I just pray that you know the world we we live in at the minute becomes better. And I think we need we need better role models for that. Mm. And um, the more people that kind of speak up about truth, you know, with what's going on in the world, I think they're the sort of people we need as our role models and they're the people we need to look at who leave marks in our lives. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think the world we're moving towards now is with platforms like podcasts and YouTube and so on, it's allowing people who wouldn't normally be seen, you know, to become role models, which yeah. is which has been really amazing. And one of the reasons I created this show. So Shah, it's been amazing you having you on the show. It's like, it's just been so 
refreshing yeah. to talk to someone from your experience, from your background, and for the journey you've been on to come on and speak so openly about it. So thank you so much. It's no, been it's, it's been, been it's incredible. Been pleasure. It's been no, great. No, thank you for having me, Chloe. I appreciate no problem. it. Now we have a tradition on the show. So I've got one last question to ask you before we wrap up for this episode. So who do you know has an inspiring story that you think we should have on the show next? If I was to name someone who's got an inspiring story, uh, it's a gentleman by the name of Adil Malik. He's uh, um, he's also an actor, uh, and he, he you know he's a wrestler as well. Yeah, and uh, he's one guy who's got a story and half to tell. Mm-hmm. I think if he if he was given the opportunity, um, he's a character as well, and uh, he has my respect. So I think mm-hmm. he'd, he'd be a great guest. Yeah, wow. Adil Malik. Yeah. Thank you so much, Charles. Well, I'll definitely be grabbing his details from you and uh, getting him on the show next. No, 100%. Thank you so much. No, my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Chloe. It's been great being here. Well, let's make sure it's not the last time. Nah. (laughs) Thank you so much, Charles. Now, guys, what an amazing episode that has been. I don't know about you, but I've been so inspired by so much of Charles' story, even just talking about his experience in fighting, right on to acting, and all the way through the arts. Now, As you usually do, if you haven't already, make sure that you share in the comments what has been one of the biggest, most inspiring moments you've taken from Shah's journey. What is something that can inspire you on your journey in whatever you're working on at the minute? And if you haven't already, no matter whether you're on Apple, Spotify or YouTube, make sure you leave a comment below and subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on our next inspiring guest. I'll see you next week. (laughs) 